The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening, Night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here after a busy... Gosh, this was like the busiest Wednesday in the history of UCF sports. We had tennis, we had basketball, we had baseball, we had two softball games. Uh, it's been nuts. That's why we're getting this out a day later than we normally do. Um, just because we all got back late and it was crazy. But um, Lopez, you managed to make it to four UCF sporting events yesterday. And uh, do they do they give you like uh, like a mileage badge for that or something? Like how do they do? It? They should. <laughs> they should. I mean, I did. Yeah, I called two softball games. I went to the women's basketball game and the baseball game. Uh, some mixed results, but uh, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting uh, day as it kind of turned out. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Um, Brian Murphy is going to drop by later to talk baseball. The Knights have their 13-game win streak snapped uh, last night against Miami, four to three. Um, but still, really good know, game, good game, really good game, really. I can't, can't can't argue with that. UCF men's tennis defeated number 30 Minnesota. We're going to riff about that a little bit. We're going to catch you up on softball, but we are going to start, um, and we'll talk a little bit about men's basketball not being selected for the NIT, um, and sort of put a wrap around the season around that. But we're going to start with women's basketball and the Knights last night selected for the WNIT and it was a quick turnaround um but uh they are in the first they they played their first round game at home against Jacksonville it took overtime Jacksonville hit a three-pointer at the buzzer to send it to OT but in the end it was I thought was a very competitive and kind of chippy game at times um UCF gets the victory 65-60 they will play at Alabama on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern time in the second round of the WNIT, Alabama defeated Southern. But, Elo, it felt like UCF kind of just did, did not come ready to play in the first half. But then the second half, they picked it up. And you know, let's give credit to Jacksonville, credit where credit's due. But, you know, the defense actually finally stepped it up in that overtime period. Um, reason to be concerned or you feel all right after that? Yeah, I don't have really, really feel. I mean, that's a bigger game for Jacksonville, so yeah. Uh, Isn't it that, funny that, how in these tournaments, it's like the, those those kinds of teams like Jacksonville are much more dangerous than a team like UCF. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a bigger game for them. They don't get to play UCF often, so uh, it was a very evenly matched, interesting game defensively. Uh, I think both teams also a little rust there from time off. So, but, I mean, UCF found the way. They executed down the stretch. They got a win. So. Yeah, at the end of the day, Zacchaeus Saunders kind of made the plays when it mattered. They, UCF hit their free throws, which was big. So uh, now that they get a chance to go to Alabama, and we finally get to uh, maybe settle all this Alabama-UCF stuff, or maybe not. Yeah, isn't that It's all going to come down to this. So it's a 2 p.m. game on, um, on Sunday. Um, some of the highlights from the game in particular, um, uh, Zacchaeus Saunders led UCF with 25 points. L'Oreal Wilson had a great game, six of nine from the field, yeah. 15 points, three rebounds. Um, Knights also got uh, six rebounds from Naila Schuler, even though she had no points. And uh, let's see, Aaliyah Gregory with 11. And I thought that Kayla Thigpen played an outstanding game, six, rebound, uh, six, uh, six points, seven rebounds, had a couple of key plays defensively, a couple of key um, deflections as well. And UCF is now, um, as I check the, uh, as I check the record, um, they have 22 victories on the season, 22 and 10. Um, which uh, I'm trying, I'm going to go back in the in the record books here because I thought I heard. Uh, well, let me. Uh, I tell you what, let's let's listen to Coach Abe because I got some I got some sound from Coach Abe last night and also uh, Z and L'Oreal as well. Here is first. Um, Coach Abe, and then uh, and then Zakia Saunders and L'Oreal Wilson. Well, I, di- I didn't think offensively we were being super aggressive because they were sitting in their zone. So obviously Jacksonville's a really good team. They're a really good team. They finished second in their league. I mean, 
Um, and we knew that coming in. This is the third year they've been to postseason, so we knew that coming in. I didn't. They are a man-to-man team, um, and so they played a couple man-to-man possessions, and we scored easy. So they just sat in their zone, um, and we had to figure that out. We were we were standing around. We needed to be more aggressive. I thought L'Oreal did a great job uh, being super aggressive, and obviously Z, you know, came out with 25 points. But I think their zone really. Um, messed us up a little bit in terms of what we wanted to do. So we just had to figure that out. But I thought our press was everything in the second half for sure. In that first, you know, four minutes in the third quarter, you know, we got out, we we pressed them, we got after them, we got some easy buckets, we got seven points right away. So, I mean, that was big. I just wanted to get the win for the seniors. Like, I've been through a lot with Z and Leah, and I wanted them to live another day. Like, they deserve it. So I just wanted to go out there and play hard and do what I could for us to get the win. I, I had Z and Leah stand up in front of the board. That was it. Like, this is the last game for them. Are we going to play for them or not? I'm not ready for them to go home. You should not be ready for them to go home, and we are going to play for them when we come out. So we need to obviously turn up our defensive effort. We need to control number 24 a lot better than we did. I mean, she had 19 points. That's a lot of points for a go-to player. I thought we did an excellent job on number 15. She's their second leading scorer. So we did a really good job. Kayla Thigpen did a great job on her. Um, 15 is an oversized post, and Kayla, you know, I fouled out, and Kayla Thigpen did a lot of. She got she got more rebounds and uh, hustle plays, and she played great defense against you know those oversized posts. So, you know those four really stepped up for us. I think this time for us, uh, you know, uh, Jacksonville played really good defense on us, and our shots weren't falling, so we really weren't committing to defense. So after halftime, our coach talked to us how we need to pick it up, start pressuring them more in defense, playing our kind of defense, and then we started to pick it up. Our shots started falling, and everything just started to come together. All right, so I went back and looked at the records, and 22 wins is tied for best all-time for UCF in the Division I era. Uh, the highest win total previously was 22 uh, in 2010-2011 with Joy Williams uh, when UCF um, went. That was their second NCAA trip under Joy um, Gail Striegler had a 20-win campaign, or excuse me, two 19-win campaigns. Uh, Lynn Bria in 1998-99 had a 20-win campaign when the Knights went to the NCAA. There was a, a, a stretch in uh, the Sunshine State Conference under Joe Sanchez in the early 80s when UCF won 24, 25, and 23 games respectively, but uh, that was um, that was back in the day. That was in the Division II uh, era, so... Nonetheless, um, a chance against Alabama to uh, to get a uh, to, to break a Division One record for UCF. Not too bad for a season's work. Yeah, no, it's a good season. They make the postseason. I mean, that's you know that's that's kind of two years in a row. So they've established themselves as a postseason team, maybe even ahead of schedule what Coach Abe thought they would be, considering. This is just her second season. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens against Alabama. That'll be up in Tuscaloosa. So uh, Sunday afternoon. So they go against an SEC team on the road. So we'll see uh, if they can, uh, you know, pull the win on the road and continue this run. Or, But nonetheless, yeah, I mean, I think they've certainly set the foundation for the future yeah. for sure. You mentioned Wilson. Uh, was a mm-hmm. good player. Really, he played well. That could be part of it. Yeah. So – now, their counterparts on the other side, the men's team, um, were snubbed out of the NIT. So uh, UCF uh, men's basketball, their season is officially over at 19 wins. Um, the seniors won't get to play again. 19 and 13, they finished their final overall record. I, had, uh, I wrote a little piece on uh, Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, after the Knights, by the way, lost to Houston um, in, uh, in the uh, – uh, second round of the American Athletic Conference Championship. They got the 14-point win over East Carolina. That was expected, but they needed the victory over Houston. Uh, it didn't happen. So the Knights get snubbed out of the NIT, and I wrote that actually this year was a better coaching job by Johnny Dawkins than last year. And the reason why was because of all the injuries that this team had. They had no business winning as many as 19 games. When you factor in that they had no more than 70% of B.J. Taylor, and he was out for two months anyway. Taco Fall was basically a non-factor, missed the season due to injury. Aubrey Dawkins, who they were expecting big things from this year, missed the season due to injury. 
Uh, they lost Chance McSpadden down the stretch with an injury. Um, and for this team to, to come within one win of, 19, uh, of 20, uh, I think was a pretty amazing achievement by, um, by Johnny Dawkins. And there's one more thing that I wanted to point out here about uh, the NIT. They selected uh, Temple uh, out of the AAC. And this was a bit of a surprise because, um, uh, let's see, where, where did we, where was it here? They, um, uh, let's see, I mean, considering that, you know, great injury luck last year for UCF, right? Basically a seven-man rotation, everybody stayed healthy. But uh, this year, um, Temple got in at 17 and 15, 8 and 10 into the NIT, while Memphis who was 21 and 13, and Tulsa at 19 and 12 were left out. Did UCF get screwed here? No, no, they didn't. They didn't deserve, they didn't, uh, they didn't finish well. Temple, look, the NIT is about RPI. So if you have a high RPI, you're going to get in. And Temple had the best RPI in the league. Uh, so they got in. That's how it works for UCF. But even over Memphis and Tulsa? Yeah, they had better RPIs than Memphis and Tulsa by far. Like, it's not even close. Uh, UCF's RPI, you can look it up. I think UCF's RPI was in the 70s it ended up being, yeah, whereas right Temple, now. I think, was in the 50s. So there was a lot of one-bid leagues that the regular season champion lost, which means they automatically get into the NCAA. So I think I, uh, there might have been only maybe 12, 13 spots left or something like that uh, in the NIT bracket, and they went they went based on RPI, and UCF's RPI was in the 70s. Let's not mention the fact they got blown out by Houston by 28, uh, and they limped into the finish line, quite frankly. I mean, they beat a terrible East Carolina team. They beat a terrible Tulane team. They lost in overtime to Wichita State, but got blown out by Temple in their most recent meeting and lost at Tulsa. So it's not like they really— 84 RPI. 84 And what's Temple? Temple, uh, oh, I had it, 52. There you go. That's why they got selected. Uh, if you look at Memphis and Tulsa, it's probably similar. In fact, I would say there are similar numbers. Now, Memphis was never going to accept an NIT bid, even if they were offered due to their coaching situation. They have fired Tubby Smith. Uh, and that's so, official now. They've let him go. Yeah. So they were never going to accept the postseason bid. Uh, but, yeah, the NIT goes based on RPI. And so, no, UCF wasn't going to get in. Uh, in that RPI, they, I felt they needed to beat Houston to have a shot, mm-hmm. and they didn't come close to that. So uh, their season ended the way it is. And quite frankly, I was there with Murph uh, courtside, and it was interesting. We were right by the UCF bench, and yeah, you could tell. They could tell that they knew that season was over. I, I don't think this was a team that's like, oh, we definitely earned a, you know, we should be playing in the NIT. I think they kind of knew what was at stake, and I think they kind of knew the result, what it meant. And I think well, all the stuff they've had to deal with, the injuries, I, you know, they were kind of like that boxer in the 12th round that was just, all right, let's, let's, we're, we're done here. I'm basically, I'm on my feet, but I'm not really on my feet anymore. Right. Well, I'll throw the question that I put on the, in the column back to you. Do you think, better coaching job by Johnny Dawkins this year or last year? No, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's this year. That's why the fans, I find it hilarious uh, that are critical of this season when you consider the fact, again, they did not play one minute this season with their three best players on the court. Right. Not one. Uh, and they only played, if you take out Aubrey Dawkins, okay, if you take out Aubrey since he has never played a, a one minute on UCF, if you want to count just BJ and Taco, they only played together this year, what, one or two games? That's um, it, yeah, something like that. You Murph find me probably a team tell us, the, but yeah. You, you find me a team in the country that would be successful that way. It's not going to happen. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think he did a better job for, because of that standpoint, not to mention they didn't have mixed Madden. So everybody's talking about all oh, these young guys, you know, they can't shoot. Or this. Honestly, they weren't supposed to have this big of a role. Uh, guys like the Jesus and, and, and all these guys weren't supposed to have the, the, the role that they ended up having this year. They were supposed to have a lesser role if things would have gone to plan. I mean, chance McSpadden was hurt and things like that. So, I think people have been very unfair. They've been critical this season. But I think the fans need to look in the mirror. They, anybody that's critical of this basketball program better be quiet because 
I didn't see a lot of fans in the support in the conference tournament, which was embarrassing. It was an absolute embarrassment from the fan standpoint, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And I and I don't want to hear you or anybody else ever bring up the fact, well, we brought 20, 30, 40,000 to Atlanta in the Peach Bowl. Give me a break. That's a bandwagon fans. That, that, that you support, If you're a real UCF fan, you support all your teams. This was the conference tournament in your backyard, and you didn't show up. So I don't want to hear – anybody complain about the basketball program when you're not even showing up to the games. Oh, you're, oh, you're not going to get a complaint from me. I mean, it's, there's no question that, that the fans, I mean, botched the tournament. And here's the thing. The hope is that it, the, the reason why the, Amer- the American tournament came here was because obviously we put in the right bid, but they were expecting a lot of UCF fans to turn out. And, and that's why the tournament was in Memphis before. I mean, you know, we know that Memphis turns out, although you know, not recently. But you know, oh, they will next. Year. Yeah, they well, they well, they might. We, I mean, we don't know with we don't know if if Penny Hardaway is going to become. Boy, what a story that is! Penny Hardaway possibly in line to become the next head coach at Memphis. But um, but yeah, it's just it, it was a real disappointment to see the lack of no fan excuse. support. No uh, excuses. The there excuse, were well, the excuse feet. that they threw, the excuse that they threw out was that the games were too late, which I don't care. Oh God! I don't really? care. It wasn't during the day when, if it was during the, if the, if UCF was playing during the day, because it was during the during the work week, fine, okay, I get that, but they were playing in the prime time session. Show up to the game. It was embarrassing. I'll tell you a quick story. I met Jim Nance, right, which was kind of the highlight of my yep. tournament. You got a picture Jim there Nance. and everything. Yeah, it was great. He's called the semifinals in the final. By the way, the most watched American conference basketball. Uh, final ever in in the conference's history, uh, monster numbers in the semi, so they benefited from the CBS slot. Thanks, Jim Delaney, for being an idiot and moving your tournament a week early. Please do that as often as you can. Uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> but so Jim Nance asked me the question. Sorry, you see, a fan's going to show up tonight. This was during the Wichita State. Uh, Temple quarterfinal game, which was before UCF Houston, which, by the way, Wichita State fans, man, were incredible. Credit incredible. to them, man. They were amazing. Uh, phenomenal. There was like the, they, they came in droves. I mean, it was incredible fan support. And Jim Nance asked me this question, and it was a very awkward question. I didn't know how to answer that question. I kind of deflected the answer by saying, not as many as Wichita State fans, which is the truth. I didn't lie. It was a fact. But I, I was embarrassed to answer that question because I knew deep down they weren't going to show up. And it's unacceptable. I mean, if UCF would have beaten Houston and played in the semis, they probably would have been outdrawn by Wichita State fans. And to me, Wichita State fans are a lot better fans than UCF fans. And 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 I respect their fan base a lot more. Why? Because they support their team no matter what. They go everywhere, wherever they go, no matter what. And to me, that's what a real fan base and a real fans are. And UCF fans clearly – are not. They're bandwagon. So if if they want to go undefeated, yeah, you can go to Atlanta. Anybody can do that. That's easy. But clearly, and people have brought up this question to me about the football season next season, and, and I've been skeptical, like, no, you can't judge a team. But you're uh, now I can tend to believe, and I'll give Trace from Nightline credit for this. He's concerned if football loses two or three games that that momentum from last season goes away because that's how fans are, and that's, a, that's sad commentary. But I can't disagree with him based on what I saw in the basketball yeah. tournament because – and by the way, it wasn't like UCF had – you know, they were a six seed. They had won 19 games. I watched Rutgers, which as you know, living in the Northeast, is not a basketball school by any stretch of the matter, come out and support their team at Madison Square Garden even though they were the worst team in the Big Ten. And yet we right. can't do that in our own backyard. And it, it hurts from a lot of levels. It, it hurts the – it makes you – know, it hurts the program, hurts the players – uh, and it hurts, honestly, the city of Orlando's chances to host this tournament down the road. I don't think they will host this conference tournament anytime soon. I'll tell you who else it really hurts, and I, and, and and this is something that I actually I go back to even last night with the with the WNIT. Was the turnout wasn't as good as it could have been. It really hurts the coaches. It really hurts the coaches because they're looking at this saying, you know what you know what do I have to do in order to get people to come to this game in order to show my recruits that this is an environment that you want to play in. And that's what I'm really disappointed about the most. So I just wanted to leave that there and let the fans ruminate on that one. Uh, because it, it, it's, it, you know, it, the success breeds success, okay? But you got to show up. And you got to show to all to these basketball games. I mean, this was especially, you know, we talked about the women's team, 22 wins. Hey, you know, I know, that the, I know it was short notice, whatever. 
But you know what? I had short notice well, and I was working soups, the game. So the women, the women's soups thing was unique in that it was, you know, it was short notice, but it was going up against UCF Miami baseball. That that's head to head. It was just a tough slot. And I mean, let's be honest. It's not like women's basketball has been driving. You know, in a, it, that's a whole different animal, different category, different subject. You know, I mean, we, we could get into the whole women's basketball interest in general across the United States on that. But uh, look. I think the I think the big question moving forward is look I, I kept seeing you know feedback from people well the team was not interesting enough they they weren't scoring they're not a very watchable team I mean are you not a like are are you a fan of the team or are you just interest you know are you not like if you're a fan of the team you you watch them no matter what their style of play is yeah. or how much they struggle or whatever and that's the thing that's disappointing is I don't think. Uh, the fan base is, has the team's programs back. So I think they jump in when things are great and they kind of bail out when it's not. And that's, the, I think, to me, that's the description of the fan base. So please, I don't want to hear anybody say again about how this, that you have this incredible fan base when they go to the Peach Bowl and sell. That's easy. That's, that, I mean, you know, that's, that's not impressive to me. Uh, I was very discouraged by it, very disappointed because the league's good. I mean, the American look at the TV deal, the Conference USA. I thought about this yesterday on uh, Wednesday when the Conference USA TV deal was announced, where they're basically, uh, and I don't know if you saw this, so they're basically going to be on CBS Sports Network. Is right. basically their, their home, and they're going to do a lot of stuff on social media, and I believe uh, that each school will make about four hundred thousand dollars each from each this TV deal. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, thank goodness we're not in the league anymore. I know. <laughs> like like yeah. we're in a way better off. And, and Mike Oresco, God bless him. I mean, the guy who's put this, this league guy, from scratch. Yeah. This who, guy and, has and, put and, his ha- – he he has played his hand perfectly. He's dealing two pair and yeah. and has nailed it. He's I mean, the league that started from scratch. A league that started from scratch, basically, in 2013, and people were skeptical about this league and how pretty interesting – like who are these schools in this league? He has turned this league into clearly the best, quote, non-Power 5 conference. If you want to go with the Power 6 narrative, whatever, yep. they are clearly the best league now with the addition of Wichita State, which some people actually criticized, which was hilarious now, yeah. considering what Wichita State has brought to the table on the court and off the court, when you consider the television ratings have been tremendous with Wichita State, and the fan support was incredible. Uh it's been incredible. I mean, they had two million, two point one million viewers for their conference championship game. In comparison, the Big East, Jeff, the mm-hmm. Big East on Fox, I believe, had like one point three, one point four million, which is the most watched Big East final since the, the of the new of the new Big East. Right. So the Americans actually gotten better ratings than Big East basketball. They've actually been better than the Big East in television ratings. They they beat the Pac-12 in, in, in ratings as far as championship games and basketball is concerned. Um, and yet people are skeptical of Mike Oresco, which is right. hilarious to me. I, I laugh at what people are, you know, and UCF fans were like, well, he didn't respond when, you know, UCF had their claim for the national title. You know why? Because he's the commissioner of the league. He's got better things to worry about than, oh, yeah, I endorsed the UCF national title. Who cares? Which, by the way, he later did. <laughs> he did. So he did at the like, tournament. So I, I, I don't, I don't right. get it. It's just head scratching to me what people are thinking. Well, you want to go enough. back to Conference USA? Like, right. I mean, are you kidding me? It's, so we're we're in, we're in a good spot. We're playing a lot of good quality programs. Yeah. So what what's the excuse? Go play. Do- go right. watch the games. Dominate your spot. Dominate your spot. That's what I've been saying from from here from here to attorney. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have Brian Murphy to talk about baseball. And we'll also catch you up on softball and tennis as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, If you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give him a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.com. 
WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here. And uh, just a reminder, you can hit us up at uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Don't forget Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And uh, you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can follow our next guest here on the show, Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy. So Brian joins me now to talk a little uh, UCF baseball as uh, the Knights. (laughs) You know, it's funny, Brian, because, you know, up until last night, we were talking about, wow, what a winning streak. They'd win 13 in a row, and then they come up short 4-3 to three, uh, against Miami at John Uliano Park uh, yesterday. But they've been doing it, and they've been winning a bunch of close games. Um, you know, obviously, we're coming off the, the two wins against Florida. They sweep Siena in, uh, in three games. In, none of those games were more than, uh, or by more than two runs. They beat Bradley 6-5, mm-hmm. and then they lose the... Uh, heartbreaker to Miami, uh, four to three. But nonetheless, the Knights uh, stand right now at fourteen and four. And to uh, to quote uh, Tony Kornheiser, if you will, Brian, uh, where are we now? Well, they uh, are on a one-game losing streak, Jeff. <laughs> uh, Thanks for that. You know, and- appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, there's panic in the streets outside John Giuliano Park. Um, I mean, it was fun while it lasted. I think that was sort of the mood after the game last night. You know, Lovelight was actually complimentary of his guys following last night's loss to Miami uh, in that, you know, they played well, they played hard, and they had their chances, didn't get them. But, I mean, if you're going to lose once every 14 games, you'll you'll take it. Uh, You know, Miami's not – very good anymore. They're one of the. They have one of the worst offenses, if not the worst offense in the ACC. Yeah. Um, and they were throwing a pitcher out there. They were throwing a bullpen game out there against UCF, and um, they just didn't get the big hit. Uh, unlike against Bradley, where they where they were down. They were, they were down by run against Bradley in the eighth and came back to win that game in extra innings. And they squeezed a couple out against Siena. Um, but I, I think this team is fine. Totally fine with where it is. I think one interesting tidbit as we go forward. You know, because we're only at one week away from conference tournament season starting. We have one more weekend series, uh, which is at home against Chicago State this weekend. Then they have two at Tallahassee during the midweek next week. And then they're at home against ECU to start American play. And the one thing that's kind of interesting is where is the pitching rotation at? Uh, that's kind of taken a small development today where they released the the probables for this weekend series against Chicago State. And as expected, you had Chris Williams on Friday. Uh, Thad Ward would be on Saturday, which is kind of to be expected with Joe Sheridan getting the midweek start against Miami. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday right now is to be announced. Now, Sunday's traditionally gone to Jordan Spicer. Um, he's pitched kind of up and down, some good starts, some bad starts, but he's got some really good stuff. He gets a lot of strikeouts. Uh, or... They could also fill that Sunday spot with with J.J. Montgomery, whom I continue to say is the best pitcher this staff has. Um, he's been bothered by some back spasm issues, which is why he actually didn't pitch against against uh, against Bradley. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean, they think he's going to be okay. He had a bullpen session on Monday, and could he actually start on Sunday 
And the bigger question is, if he starts well on Sunday, is that what gets him into the weekend rotation going forward? I don't know for sure. I can't answer those questions. I think we might see both Jordan Spicer and J.J. Montgomery on Sunday, but we'll just have to wait and see. Ryland Thomas hit another home run, his sixth mm-hmm. on the season. He's Right now he's hitting 426. He's 102 average points ahead of the next highest qualifier, uh, which is Matthew Micah. I mean, obviously there's a couple other guys who are having a pretty good season, but haven't had that m- as many at-bats. Um, God, 29 of 68 at the plate. Six homers, 24 runs batted in. He's slugging 721. Can this mm-hmm. possibly continue? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say no. Uh, I, you know, he's top 10 right now in home runs in Division One, And just to, like to show you how head and shoulders above the rest of the offense he is, like he is slugging percentage of 721. The team slugging percentage with him included is 395. <laughs> he has six of the team's entire total of 13 home runs. No one else on the team has more than two. Um, it's a it's a been a tremendous hot start. I think what was really encouraging is that, I mean, he's hit it everywhere. He hit one out to left center a couple days ago. He hit one against Miami that was straight away to right. Uh, Oppo. He hit one against I think it was Savannah State that went over the batter's eye in dead center. I mean, the, the dude's got power to all fields. It's legit power. And, and you know, yeah. By the way, he's hitting four twenty six. His on base is five oh six. Um, he's walked 12 times and struck out 15 times. Like he's doing it, everything correct. Like he, he's, he's on a different level right now. Um, and so this offense has a little bit of a struggle scoring a little bit. Um, but he has been, uh, an absolute rock. Will he hit, uh, will he hit 20 home runs? Like, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I don't know. Maybe you never know. Like I said, the dude's got power to all fields and it's totally legit. The, you mentioned the upcoming schedule with Chicago State coming into town. Their RPI right now is 240. The RPI actually just came out um, uh, through games of uh, yesterday, March the 14th. Um, UCF's RPI, uh, incidentally, is 79th, and it actually dropped from 54 uh, by virtue of the fact that they played Siena uh, and mm. Bradley. And lost to, and lost to Miami, Florida State. Obviously, next week coming up Tuesday and Wednesday up in Tallahassee, uh, and Florida State right now eighth in the RPI. So, um, is it? I don't want to ask the stupid question about like you know could they possibly look past you know Chicago State for Florida State, but you know what do you want to get done? this weekend if you're Greg Lovelady and you're playing a team that is out of the whack, is 4-9, and 0-6 oh on the road, and has an RPI lower than that of the likes of Ryder and Penn and Campbell and the Citadel. And has lost eight in a row. Yeah, it yeah. kind of keeps going. Um, I, I think they... It has a mascot like that s- looks like it, the, a logo that was drawn in 1993. Anyway, carry oh. Now you're getting a little harsh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think this, this, you know, they would like to see a little bit more offensive breakout. They would like to see the guys have a little better at bats. Um, but you know, Jeff, you know, me and you could talk about like how this team likes to bunt with like fewer than two outs and a man on first, which is like not something I would do. I'd like to see them swing the bat a little more, but. I think overall, I think what they want to see is is the offense sort of be a little bit more consistent because the pitching has been consistent every single weekend. Uh, it's one of the best staffs in the nation. They're up there in the top 20 in uh, strikeouts per nine, uh, strike-to-walk ratio, ERA. It's a tremendous staff front to back and the bullpen as well. The bullpen against uh, Bradley was spectacular. You know, They gave up five runs in the second inning and then held them off the board for the rest of the night. Um, and it just seems like everybody pitching well. So that's, that's, that's set. Um, but it's, it, you know, do you need to see, you need to see the offense. They, they're go, they've gone through a bunch of leadoff hitters with Brandon Hernandez and, and Ray Alejo and my, um, you know, Matthew, Micah, Jackson Webb. Uh, do they have consistency there? They seem to have the middle of the order figured out in some way, shape or form with Rylan Thomas and, and the American player of the week, 
uh, Tyler Osick. Um, but I think there's still a lot of questions to be answered as far as how that lineup's going to look consistently throughout conference play. Why not put Osick in the in the leadoff? I mean, he's got the he's got the second highest on base percentage of uh, of anyone with sixty plus at bats uh, mm-hmm. at four sixteen. I guess they just want that power at, at that position protecting Ryland. Well, you know how not only I think it's that, but he's not a burner. Uh, this team obviously thrives off of its stolen bases. They are, I believe, if not first, they're second in stolen bases in the nation. You can look that up while I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, or or I can look it up while stolen bases. Right. So they want to have the burners somewhere like Matthew Micah, although he's been hitting like middle of the order, which is a little weird, but they do want to have like either like Ray Alejo or Brian Hernandez or Jackson Webb up there at the top to sort of turn every every walk or every single into a double because they can definitely do that. Um, and you know, and then if you can, and then if you can get those guys on base and then keep Tyler Osick in like the fifth spot, uh, it sort of lengthens the lineup because he's been so good, uh, you know. And so yeah, I think it's it comes down to more of a base running speed issue uh, than anything else. Right. Well, they've got this weird stretch coming up with Chicago State and then Florida State, and then they're mm-hmm. back home to start. The conference season actually, uh, well, in the our next Friday, uh, March twenty third. Yeah. So, um, yeah, oh, and actually, that reminds me because I want to take a look around the American as well. Um, how is this year sort of shaping up as we're rolling through non-conference play uh, in the American? As I look at the standings right now, Wichita State is doing their thing at twelve and three. Uh, UCF obviously right now in second at 14 and four, obviously conference play hasn't started. So these are all overall records. East Carolina's off to a good start at 13 and four USF's 12 and six. Um, uh, and then you, and then you hit sort of the middle of the pack teams with UConn, Houston and Tulane and Cincinnati with Memphis kind of bringing up the rear at six and 11. But, um, what are some of the things that you're seeing around the conference with these, with teams like Wichita and East Carolina and USF, like who's going to be, you know, is this how, how you're expecting it to shape up or has a few of these teams kind of had some, uh, some, some sort of softies early in the schedule and might come back down to earth a little bit. Well, just looking at East Carolina, cause they're next up. I mean, they did, they did beat North Carolina twice when they were sixth in the nation. Mm-hmm. They actually have a pretty interesting non-conference um, weekend series coming up against Maryland. Um, but right now, yeah, it is a pretty bunched up, like there's kind of a clear line of demarcation between like the really good teams and the teams that are, um, sort of off to slow starts. So, so be it. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's any surprise really that, that the, the conference is shaping up uh, as it is. Uh, You know, one thing is, you know, Houston is down there at eight and eight. Uh, now I don't have Houston's schedule on me, but I know that they were, pick to i think win the conference preseason yeah that's correct um and so you know that's fine but, but i think you know every coach even if you like even you could you could spin it for every coach in any team right if you really struggle out of conference you can be like well you know it's all about conference play we got to set up for conference play and you know that doesn't matter anymore and then if you're playing well in conference or playing well out of conference you can go like i like where we are heading into conference play like you can you can spin it um but uh, you know Houston being at eight and eight is a little surprising. I'm looking at their schedule. Um, they, they, they beat they they took two out of three from Holy Cross, two out of three from Cal State Fullerton, and they had a stretch where it looks like they lost four in a row to Kentucky, Mississippi State, Vandy, and then Houston Baptist. And, and three uh, of those teams, three of those teams are toward top twenty five teams. Right, exactly. So they so they've just been a victim of a difficult schedule. It looks like at this yeah. point. Yeah. So, and they've got. And, uh, Let's see, they also well, they took two out of three from San Diego. They lost at McNeese State, and they opened conference play on the 23rd with Memphis. So, um, But they, it looks like they have a couple, of, uh, a couple of, well, relatively easy ones coming up before they start conference schedule, too. Yeah, uh, they've, got, uh, they've got, what, New, was it New Mexico, Mexico and then they Columbia. Columbia, and then they've got Lamar and Prairie View. Prairie View, this is all at home. Yeah, before they face Memphis, that shouldn't yeah. be a problem. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, they did lose again. They did lose to, was that Houston Baptist? Yeah. So it is what it is. 
but uh no i mean it's it's fine i think i think it's a it's a really strong conference uh and uh you know ucf you know they you can't say they've beaten up on cupcakes that's for one thing they've really they've they've they have they have certainly gotten their fair share of wins against the typical like you know northeastern teams traveling down south early in the year but uh, those wins against Florida certainly stand out. Um, so I think I think they're and you know when you win thirteen out of fourteen, you feel pretty good about yourself. Even the last game is a loss, right? So um, I think they're I think they're just fine right now. Well, Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Chicago State, six thirty p.m. The first two days, one p.m. on Sunday, and then at Florida State in Tallahassee on Tuesday and Wednesday, six and four p.m respectively brian thanks again for uh your insight and where can we uh, what do you got coming up this week and uh uh where can uh, people get in touch with you to uh scream about your hot takes about ucf baseball hot takes yeah i'm a real rabble rouser uh <laughs> i'll be at the games against chicago state on saturday and sunday uh both those last two games of the series and uh, i'll have a little like ucf baseball notebook out before the game tomorrow, before the series begins tomorrow, out on Black and Gold Banneret. Also, one last note: uh, this has sort of been on schedule for the last couple of weeks, but I, I asked again yesterday, and it still looks like the the grand opening of the new John Juliano Park with the finished upper deck and such and such is still on schedule to be unveiled March twenty third. Uh, that is again. That's the first game of the ECU series. Yep. It was that date was originally March sixth. That was told to us before the season. Uh, there were some delays in some shipping uh, materials, uh, but I have heard that that the the grand opening of having the new suite areas, the new press box areas, and the new second deck is, will be open to the fans next Friday. I say it looks pretty cool from the outside. <laughs> Because I was at the mm-hmm. uh, I was at the women's game and I was like, this thing looks pretty much just about done. Then you kind of drive around. You guys are still at the game, but um, but you know you drive around. and You're like, okay, obviously no one's sitting there, but um, you know it's starting to look really nice. Like you know, I mean, pretty cool minor league park. You know that we have going on there. So um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that hopefully that schedule um, sticks to it because I think that'll be a really fun way to kick off the conference season on uh, March 23rd. All right, Brian, thanks again, brother. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Elo is back with me, and we're going to flip over to softball now as the Knights are coming off of uh, actually a little rough patch in the schedule here, Eric. Uh, They lose two games on Wednesday, uh, one to Texas San Antonio and the other to uh, Georgia Southern. Kind of struggling along there in this uh, sort of midweek tilt. What in the world happened? It's a very good question. I'm still trying to figure that out myself, <laughs> I think. And so is the coaching staff. Uh, quite bright. I mean, I'm going to be real blunt. wasn't very good. I don't think – I think the players – you know, it was spring break, and I think the players' heads were still in – it was in spring break mode. And it um, wasn't good. I thought they were flat. Um, they just didn't have the – UTSA in- game at 1030 in the morning. That's – they did. Uh, but you know what? I mean, I know some people have asked me about that, and, and I encounter with that is two of their big, bit most impressive wins this year, run rule wins, have been at 9.30 in the morning. They did that against uh, Santa Clara on Saturday morning, on a, sun, on a Sunday morning in California, and they did that on a Saturday morning against Western Carolina in Jacksonville. So Was that 9.30 local time that they started those yeah, games? So that was yeah. 6.30 like Eastern time that they got yeah. up and, and won those games. So that's kind of interesting. So I don't know if I buy that. I mean, they should, you know, in softball, you have to be prepared to play at whatever time due to weather and things. So actually, I should uh, correct myself. Twelve thirty Eastern time. I, I can't even. I can't even get my time zone straight. Anyway, go yeah, on. Sorry. that's why we should never change time zones. But anyway, um, look, they just weren't good, quite frankly. I'm mean, not going to lie to you. I mean, it was not a good performance at all. Uh, they know it. Um, so they're going to look, they got about a week here to kind of do some soul searching here. They got Princeton doubleheader. And then after that, it's the conference play opens and they're going to open with the defending regular season champions and the defending tournament champions, the Tulsa golden hurricane, who are the favorites to win this year, who have the best pitcher in the league coming in in the pitcher of the year in Emily Watson. And then after that, they got to go to Houston who right now has a top 10 pitching staff. And I think might be the best team in the league. Uh, so they're going to get, they're going to get tested right away. So the, you know, unfortunately, and I've said this and it's been, I know it sounds cliche in the past, but this is a young team and a youthful team. And 
I think they the youth showed on Wednesday because some of them I don't think I think didn't really you know they were in spring break mode and uh, it's unfortunate you know because my concern is Jeff that two months from now you know if you ask me hey how come they didn't make the NCAA's let's say for example well that could be one of those days that you look back and like man I wish we could have uh, you know shown up that day and then maybe it would have made a difference who knows but. Um, it's disappointing. I mean, that's just no other way to put it. We're coming around the time when the RPI comes out. It's not out yet, but I've been told I've been told by people in the NCAA it might be next week or the following week. Yeah, it's usually around. Last year it came out around the twentieth, yeah. so the twentieth yeah. of yeah. March. So, yeah. w- when you look at the RPI, what are you what are you looking for when that comes out? What should we pay close attention to with the softball RPI? Well, obviously, where you know where they're ranked, uh, you know, certainly you want to, you know, it's it's so early. March is so early that there's going to be a lot of drastic changes. I I think my concern is that with those two losses, and again, nothing against Texas San Antonio, and in particular Georgia Southern, who I actually think is pretty good, might actually be a sleeper in the Sun Belt League, but. Um, I think UCF's RPI, if I had to guess based on the formula, is probably going to be in the 60s, which isn't bad, but it's not great. Not where uh, you want it to be. No, you want to be in the 40s. You want to be in the 40s uh, to be in the mix in the 30s. So I think what, but the thing I'm also interested to look at, and this is one of the things I look for when the RPI comes out, is not necessarily where UCF is right now. Well, I want to know what the future opponents, where they're at. Mm-hmm. Where's Tulsa? Where is Houston? Uh, where is the you know the rest of the teams in the conference? Where is Florida? Because you want to know, okay, how many quality RPI games are left in the schedule that you can make a jump and make a move? Is there a lot? Is there not many? And that'll kind of help you figure out, okay, can we make a run for the NCAAs? What do we need to do? Do we have to win the league and that's it? Or can we make it as an at-large? Uh, those are the things I'm kind of curious about. As a conference, where is the American? Uh, like, I think Houston, Wichita State, and Tulsa might be the three highest uh, teams in the RPI. I'm curious where they're at. USF. That's the thing I'm, I like to see is where are the teams in the league? Because those are the teams UCF's going to be playing here in the second half of the year. Well, I got this doubleheader on Wednesday, uh, the 21st against Princeton. So they have basically a week to sort of figure things out and find out who. Uh, and find out kind of how, how it's going to go before conference play, which starts on the 23rd Friday against those. Hard to believe we're in conference play already, man, because now the, now the schedule kind of spreads out because you're no longer playing those wild tournaments with 18 teams. and um, Which I think, by the way, will help UCF out. Yeah. Uh, they're not as deep in pitching. So as a result, those game, you know, some of their losses have become a result of their lack of depth in pitching injuries a part of it as well so i actually think that will help ucf a little bit because i think Aliyah white for example who's right now in the top 10 in wins and shutouts in the country she has four shutouts and she has 12 wins which are both in the top 10 in the ncaa uh that'll give her some rest and it'll give her opportunities to throw her a lot well the nights are 17 and 11 right now we'll see how it comes through with the next five games out of the seven game uh, homestand uh, coming up. So, uh, again, be sure to be on the lookout for that and follow Eric for all the latest on softball. And uh, we have a little, uh, by the way, real quick, a little anniver- special anniversary coming up, Eric Lopez, in the next uh, in the next week or so here in terms of uh, not just UCF softball history, but sort of amazing things that have happened at UCF, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, for those uh, that don't know, March 19th, depending, I don't know when people are listening to this episode, but March 19th, will mark the 15-year anniversary of uh, Stephanie Best, who was in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame, first-ever softball player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. 15 years ago, March 19th, she took on Army and set an NCAA record by hitting two grand slams in the same inning, two grand slams in the game. Those are still NCAA records. And an NCAA record, 11 RBIs in the game. All those three categories are still NCAA records that Steph holds. Not to mention she hit a school record, which still holds three home runs in that game. Um, I could make the argument, here's one, that might be the maybe one of the greatest performances that any UCF athletes ever had uh, in any sport. Certainly maybe the greatest single-game performance right. in 
in UCF history. Right. I mean, certainly when uh, when it comes to mind, Kevin Smith and his, what was it, 300 yards against Tulsa in the Conference USA title game in 07 certainly comes to mind as far as great individual game performances. Uh, I know you've raved about Jermaine Taylor's game that you saw against Rice where, uh, what was he, set the school record for most points in the game? Division one school record, yeah. Uh, that's up there. Um, among others, I know Chris Duffy had a big game of UCF baseball for years back, home runway, but yeah, I mean, Steph went three home runs, 11 RBIs, two grand slams, both in the same inning. Three NCAA records set there, not to mention the school record for home runs. Obviously, she holds the RBI record as a school record. Uh, it's one of the most incredible games. And she only did it in five innings because they run rolled Army. Right. And <laughs> so she got cheated of in a bad bat, in theory. <laughs> um, and the interesting thing is that I know you and I have talked to her about that game in the past, and I've spoken to her, and we'll – I'll talk to her again here in the near future is I believe that was one of the first games that her mom actually saw her in person. Yeah. Uh, play. I'll, uh, I'll never forget the one thing she told me about this, uh, about this, uh, about that game. She said she's still upset about the one at bat she had where she struck yes, out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she dwells on that a lot. And uh, like that's Steph, Steph. You, hit, you set right. an NCAA record for the greatest single game batting performance in history. And she's upset about the one time she struck out. I'm like, come on, Steph. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I will be interviewing Steph here actually for fastpitchnews.com. Uh, that'll be on a few, a podcast that's actually going to come out on the an- the day of the anniversary, March 9th, uh, yeah. March 19th, 15 year anniversary. We will play a portion of that interview on our next episode here as well. on black and gold banneret. And we might actually go in more in depth, about Steph's career and maybe break down some of the best individual performances in the history of UCF athletics. Maybe that's a, something you guys feel free to tweet or Facebook at us. Any suggestions? That's a good one. Uh, yeah. So I, I want to. Yeah, I want to hear from everybody that's out there on uh, you know on social media who follows us, uh, Facebook, um, twi- uh, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and also Twitter UCF underscore Banneret, and holler at us with what you think are the best single game performances in UCF history. Um, we mentioned Steph. We mentioned Kevin Smith. We mentioned Jermaine Taylor. Um, I'm sure somebody's going to mention Bo Clark, who I think had a um, – I think I think he had like a 50- or 60-point game back in the division – back in the D2 days, back way back when in uh, men's basketball. But holler at us on that one. That'll be um, – I'll be interested to know if there are any other nominees that are out there. Yeah, yeah, we're going to push that. Uh, social media, we'll read some of the answers and maybe go into more in depth on that our next episode because uh, it's kind of interesting. Because, like I said, from a softball standpoint, that's probably as good as it gets from an offensive standpoint. Uh, because when you set three NCAA records <laughs> in one, one day. game, yeah, yeah, um, pretty, pretty wild. Uh, unfortunately, as I have learned because I've done some research on this, the the audio, as I understand it. Is, uh, it does not exist. Does not there is exist. no audio or video. It's one of these like a JFK mystery. It's like one of these great mystery games. It's uh, so it's pretty wild. So we'll we'll get into more in that next episode. Yeah. on that. So that was fun. So all right, I want to quickly catch you up on tennis. Um, men's tennis uh, snapped Minnesota's big win streak with a four to two. Uh, victory. Minnesota came in number 30 in the country. They had won six matches in a row. And uh, UCF, that came into that match four and six, got off the schneid, defeats Minnesota at the USTA National Campus. And they play another Big Ten opponent in Indiana on Friday, um, March 16th. So um, sort of this this uh, murderer's row of, of a schedule continues for um, John Roddick and his troops Sunday on March 18th, they have a game against Miami and then Wednesday, March 21st, they're playing Arkansas. So, I mean, this is, they, they are, they are beating the tar out of themselves with this schedule. They had lost four in a row. Against some quality teams. Against I mean, Michigan ranked teams. Yeah. Uh, Baylor, I think went the distance seven games. They're ranked. I mean, so it's not like they, you know, they've had a tough schedule there and that's what happens, but that's a big one against Minnesota. See if they start making their move here in the second and the rest of the way here. Yeah. Women's tennis, on the other hand, right now they are uh, in the last rankings in the ITA. Yes, I know, Coach Roddick, if you're listening, I know it's the ITA ranking. (laughs) 24th is the women's team. Um, And uh, Brian Canico and his squad uh, 
with two big wins. Uh, one against Penn State, five to two, and then they uh, won a match uh, in the American Athletic Conference against Memphis, four to one. They're playing in this uh, ITF fifteen thousand dollar Tampa event. Uh, over this weekend uh, that they're about to finish up actually tomorrow and then back to team play on March 21st. That's a Wednesday against Clemson. Uh, Then they've got, uh, right after that, they've got Yale on Thursday the 22nd and Brown Tuesday the 27th. So, But right now they're sitting pretty. They're at 11-2. Not not a bad start. (laughs) They've won five in a row. Maybe we're in the mix of the biggest developing story in the spring sports year. Maybe the longest drought. In it, uh, of all the teams on campus, as far as making the NCAA tournament, women's tennis, 2002. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. 2002, last time they made the NCAA tournament. Mm. Could that drought be coming to an end? This might be their best shot to do that. Uh, men's ended their drought last year. Uh, first time they made it last year since 05. Women haven't made it since 02. That could be, uh, that could be significant. If they do... It's basketball. Since we started with basketball, that would be the new current long drought, 05, making the NCAA, if you're wondering. But uh, that's a significant story, Jeff. I mean, uh, that would be something that if Brian Kaneko and, and, and can pull that off and it's just his second year to end that drought would be remarkable. Yeah, that would be something. Well, they're sitting in a pretty good spot right now uh, at number 24 in the country with these big matches coming up against Clemson, Yale, and Brown. All right, Elo, as we wrap up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, um, what have you got coming up this weekend? I know you got a pretty busy schedule coming up. I really do. I mentioned the interview. I'm going to hopefully interview Stephanie Best this weekend uh, and, and, and get more in-depth on that 15-year anniversary game. Uh, that'll be on FastPitchNews.com. I also got a feature, seven innings, Jeff. I call it seven innings on FastPitchNews.com, where I talk to some of the softball players and figures in the sport, and I ask them seven questions. Um, and my next person and guest will be Navia Pinrod of UNF, who's actually one of the nation's leaders in base hits and on track to break Stephanie Bess's A-Sun record for most base hits in a career. Huh. Um, goes, I'll see full swing. So uh, I got that feature coming out on FastPageNews.com as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Eric Lopez. You'll all be watching the tournament. I tweeted out, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, Men's basketball, the American Conference, 2 million viewers watched the championship game, the most watched ever for the American Conference, beating the Big East, beating the, the Pac-12. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Houston, obviously, they won their opening round game in a dramatic game against San Diego State. Obviously, you know, how the rest of the American Conference does here in the NCAA. That's what we're going to be watching and following uh, until I get prepared to broadcast uh, that Princeton doubleheader you mentioned, uh, Wednesday the 21st, 4 and 6 Eastern. May or may not be joined by Brittany Solis, the former shortstop. She might be calling the second game with me. We don't know. It depends on her class schedule. She's a grad school, so you know how that's tricky. But uh, we'll see if that plays out. So that's what's coming. That's on my uh, schedule in the next week or so, as well as fixing my phone and finding a new oven stove. Well, that's how I never do. Jeez, how many different things you find? Yeah. Find a new yeah. stove? Yeah, I lit on fire. I'm not even kidding. I lit on fire like on uh, the day before a Tuesday, and uh, yeah, that was not fun. So Holy now we're looking. Moly. Yeah, right. uh, s- send your if you have a stove you're looking to get rid of. Make sure you contact. Eric yeah, please. I even joke. Yeah. on Twitter. Um, I will be uh, this weekend. My son Connor turns four years old. Um, I can't, I can't believe, I, I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe he's four already, man. Time flies. So we're celebrating his fourth, fourth birthday. Um, he does not have his own mobile device, so he won't be able to download this and hear it by himself. But, um, Connor, I love you, buddy. You're, uh, you're the best. Happy fourth birthday, pal. And, um, the, uh, wow. So, uh, it's a big weekend for that. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on uh, women's basketball because they have that game against uh, Alabama in Tuscaloosa on Sunday. And then, uh, yeah, keeping an eye on the other teams in the American as well that are uh, in the men's basketball. We just watched uh, uh, Houston win their game earlier against uh, San Diego State, Wichita's in in the the, uh, tournament. And then, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on Cincinnati uh, as well. as uh, As March rolls on through here, on the uh, Black and Gold Banneret 
podcast. Eric, thanks again, brother. Thank you, and uh, boys, enjoy the madness. Yeah, oh boy, it should be fun. We've got, uh, as as always, don't forget, you can hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, hit up uh, Facebook, follow us there, give us a like, turn on your notifications at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Brian is at Spokes underscore Murphy. Thanks, of course, to Brian uh, for his uh, for his insight in UCF baseball. And thanks, as always, to Sam Unger and the Unger Real Estate Group for their support of our podcast as well. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Panorama Podcast.